Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Naples United Church of Christ. My name is Dawson Taylor. I serve as your senior minister, and it's a privilege to welcome you this morning. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, if you're here this morning because I'm not preaching, but Phil Gully is, we're still glad you're here. Um, and if you're joining us via live stream, Facebook Live, or have gathered together this morning at uh, Bentley Village, we are blessed by your presence as well, or if you download the audio podcast later this week. Uh, it's a wonderful day. It's been a wonderful week around here. I do want to uh, say one word of uh, just a change in, in uh, what you see in the bulletin, and that is that I'm grateful to have uh, my colleague, Reverend Dr. Sharon Harris-Ewing, who is our assistant minister with us. Uh, Deb Kaiser-Cross was traveling to be with family, and um, as you well know, sometimes planes don't always go where they're supposed to go, and uh, her flight was canceled, and so uh, we said, you just get back home safely, and uh, Sharon has stepped in. So Sharon, thank you for uh, being willing to step in early this morning. Um, I want to also say that we are uh, excited. It's been a wonderful week. I uh, was in Chicago for part of the week, and it's always really good to be home after you've been in Chicago in February. Um, I was there for a board of trustees meeting for Chicago Theological Seminary. You may remember Wesley Snedeker from our con congregation graduated from there, and uh, Dr. Stephen Ray uh, preached last uh, year right after Easter, and uh, they send their greetings, and and uh, I'm proud to, to say that all is going well. And speaking of seminary presidents, I heard a rumor that David Greenhaw might be here today. David, are you here by chance? Right in the front row where I can't see you. So it is a privilege to welcome uh, Dr. David Greenhaw and his wife, Lee, who uh, David is president of Eden Theological Seminary uh, in St. Louis. And uh, welcome, and we're glad to have you. David's probably tired of people saying this about him, but he will retire at the end of this academic year, and uh, we are grateful for his many years of service, and, uh, and I've known David and Lee for quite a while, so it's great to have them with us and among us. And uh, a few other things I just want to raise your attention to that this morning, we have a rose on our communion table honoring the birth of the daughter of Dr. Alexandra Carlson, our accompanist. So I, I raised that for two things. One, I would just want you to know she didn't just disappear in the middle of the season. Uh, we know where she is. And uh, secondly is to say uh, this is something new that we're doing this year. And so if you have a grandchild, uh, uh, a great niece, nephew, child born in your family, this is a wonderful way for us to be able to celebrate that with you. Just call the church office and uh, we'll get it all arranged. I want to invite you on Wednesday night. I'm doing a seminar this spring entitled Get Your Affairs in Order. So we have an estate attorney, a funeral director, and a minister. So if we can't help you figure it out, it's probably beyond uh, any need at that point. But we're going to be talking about some of those complicated things that happen around, uh, around end-of-life issues and, uh, and how to, uh, to uh, go through that journey best and how to be best prepared. And so I hope that you'll join us starting uh, this Wednesday at 530 and uh, you will hear in between or after the service, uh, three of our section leaders are uh, students at Florida Gulf Coast University and will be in just a few weeks going to Italy for the first time. They get to experience Europe. And so we've had many people already offered to be chaperones for a college trip to Italy. But 
what we wanted to do is to help support uh, that. And so you will hear them after the service singing. And, um, and then I think there's some rather enthusiastic church members who will be glad to receive any gifts that you would like to make to help them uh, go and be a part of that chamber choir's uh, tour. Lastly, I just want to say we are honored this morning to have uh, Phil Gully in our midst. Uh, if you read my article in Steeplelights, uh, our relationship goes back to my previous church in Dallas, and so it's been fun to reconnect. And I'm grateful to our Board of Christian Education for their invitation to Phil to be with us during this time. And you'll note that he has a lecture following this service. So there is a luncheon. Even if you didn't sign up, you can still stay through. We've got plenty of food. Um, if you're not staying for lunch but want to be here for the lecture, uh, the lecture begins at 1245. And then his final lecture with us will be tomorrow at lunch as well, starting at 1130. So you're invited. Even if you have not had the chance to sign up yet, please come and enjoy. And I think you will be eager to hear more from Phil after you hear him this morning. So indeed, as a growing congregation, let us center our hearts and our minds as we prepare for worship this morning. Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you all the way from Indiana in February. How many people here are from Indiana? Ah, okay. I didn't see this side. Were there any Indian? Okay, Bill and Pam. All right. I thought you had the honest countenance of a Hoosier. That's good. Oh, well, it's good to come down here and see people in my church who have fled. <laughs> that happens a lot in Indiana. Hoosiers come down, bring their pale, pasty Hoosier bodies down, and after a while are glowing incandescently in the Florida sun which hasn't been seen in Indiana since the last of October. <laughs> and we tease them about it when they ask, why don't you come down and visit us? We tell them, well, I would love to, but I must stay up here in the north and do the Lord's work here. <laughs> Incidentally, my Quaker meeting back home thinks I'm in Naples, New York. <laughs> where it's 28 degrees and sleeting. I don't know where they got that idea, but I'm not responsible for correcting every misconception. I want to talk today about grace, the unmerited love of God who maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. I have come to the realization that one's belief in grace depends primarily upon the God one worships. We should never just assume that uh, there's one understanding of God. There are probably as many gods as there are people who believe in them. Um, but one's belief in grace depends primarily upon the God one worships. Uh, I saw this brought home to me last week uh, when Paula White, President Trump's spiritual advisor, uh, prayed during a worship service that, uh, quote, we command all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now. She said this in a prayer. 
Uh, I felt sorry for her when I read that. Uh, for like every pastor, I have said things while praying extemporaneously that I immediately wish I could unsay. Um, but how do you unring a bell? I, I don't know how to do that. And for that matter, I have no idea what a satanic pregnancy is, except that it likely involves the Kardashians. But that's all I know. <laughs> What do they even do? My wife was asking me this. How did they get their money? I said, I have no idea what they do, but that's not for me to worry about, except occasionally. But in that prayer, in that prayer, we were given a glimpse, were we not, of the God Paula White worships, a God who slaughters the firstborn, who turns the water to blood, who dashes the babies upon the rocks. And that's why I say that uh, there are probably as many visions of God as there are people in the world. Because someone who had that understanding of God wrote about it, and those words were captured in the Hebrew Scriptures. I have a friend, a Jewish friend named Russ Arnold, who is a college professor of Bible and religion and attended our Quaker meeting for a number of years. Uh, he grew up in the Jewish tradition, as I said, and remains in that tradition, uh, so was unfamiliar with church life and how things worked in a church. So because of his unfamiliarity with church life and his naive tendency to trust Quakers, <laughs> we were able to trick him into teaching adult Sunday school for a year. He said, what do you want me to teach? I said, here's what I want you to teach. I want you to go through the Old Testament, and I want you also to include the rabbinical and Talmudic traditions uh, and the oral traditions that have been passed through Jewish culture for centuries and centuries, and I want you to help us understand the Hebrew scriptures in light of the Jewish tradition, not Christians reading the Old Testament, uh, but as a Jewish person of faith, uh, helping us read the Old Testament in, through the eyes of a faithful uh, contemporary Jewish person. And he said he would, and he did, and it was a wonderful year. Um, one Sunday, he spoke about the competing images of God present in the Hebrew Scriptures and how those images not only influence our understanding of God, but also our understanding of grace and what it means to love. As an example, he reminded us of the story of Abraham binding his son Isaac to the altar in order to sacrifice him. You remember that story. A father tying his son to the altar to sacrifice him, apparently under the command of God. I'm sure that's a story familiar to all of you. Now, if you're like me, you grew up hearing all these wonderful things about Abraham. But I have to tell you, any father who would do that to his son is insane. Is insane. Were that to happen today, 
we would not have a good opinion of that man. And if he said, God told me to do it, we would surely think, would we not, that that man was deeply troubled. According to uh, my friend Russ, one thread of rabbinical tradition tells another story that Abraham's wife Sarah was so angry with him she refused to live with him any longer. She moved to Hebron in the land of Canaan and he lived in Beersheba. Russ said that in that story, in that tradition, they died apart and estranged. Now the name Isaac means he laughs because Sarah who had been childless, was old when Isaac was born and said people would die laughing when they heard she was pregnant. So she gave birth to laughter and loved her son with all her heart, which explains her separation from Abraham when she heard what he'd almost done to their son. Now, can't you just imagine that trip home? Isaac and Abraham, Abraham telling his son, there's no need to tell your mother about this. We'll keep this between us. Now guys, has that ever worked for you when your children were little? Of course it doesn't. Because the first thing Isaac does in this tradition is tell Sarah what happened. And she packed her bags and got an apartment in Hebron, 26 miles away. One more instance in the long and tragic history of men behaving as if women had no say. And Sarah would not stand for it. She would tolerate a lot. She would not tolerate that. I like Sarah and think of her often. I think of Sarah every time men start wars and send the children of women to die. I think of Sarah whenever men pass unjust laws and send the children of women to prison. I think of Sarah whenever men are cruel and separate children from their mothers for the crime of seeking a better life elsewhere. I like Sarah. I like that she would no longer live with the man who had been willing to kill her beloved child. I like that she could not pretend everything was okay when it was clearly not okay. I like that in her old age, with few resources at her disposal, she was able to say, I would rather live alone than with a man who would place our child on an altar and kill him. Judaism... Christianity and Islam are known as Abrahamic faiths. 
That is, they are monotheistic faiths who worship the God of Abraham. I grew up hearing church leaders extol in solemn voices the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as if it were an incantation. But I must be clear. I am done with Abraham. And I am done with the God who spoke with him. I am standing with the God of Sarah. I want nothing to do with a God who would command a father to kill his son in order to test the father's faithfulness. I am done with that God. And I am done with Abraham, who lacked the courage to say to his God what clearly needed to be said. What you ask of me is evil, and I will not do it. So I am done with Abraham. And I am done with Abraham's God. I am standing with the God of Sarah. Now, if Abraham was following the leading of God, then can we also assume that Sarah, who the Bible describes as a woman of faith and piety, was also following a divine leading when she packed her bags and left? If so, I am standing with a God of grace, a God who whispered in Sarah's ear, there is a better life for you in Hebron. Pack your bags. It's time to go. I have seen this God in other moments, in other persons. I have seen this God in Mary Magdalene, falsely condemned by the historic church as a prostitute who stood with courage by the dying Jesus long after Peter, James, and John had fled. I am standing with her God. I am standing with the God of Theodora, the sixth century empress of Byzantium, one of the first rulers that we know of to recognize the rights of women who worked tirelessly to prohibit the sex trafficking of young girls, even back then. I am standing with the God of Elizabeth Fry, that great Quaker reformer whose work improved the lives of the imprisoned, the sick, and the mentally ill. I am standing with the God who whispered in Rosa Parks' ear, keep your seat, you've earned your rest. And today, I am standing with the God who is standing with the Central and South American mothers, those whose homelands have been torn asunder by our nation's hunger, insatiable thirst for drugs. Mothers who would rather be separated from their children than see them killed. I am done with the graceless God of Abraham who cared not a whit for the feelings of a mother. I am standing with the God of Sarah who pointed her to a better life elsewhere. Abraham died long ago, but the vestiges of his God are still with us. 
That God is worshipped by those who would compel a woman to bear a child she had no say in creating, then do nothing to assist her. The Benedictine sister Joan Chittister so rightly and boldly said, I do not believe that just because you are opposed to abortion that that makes you pro-life. In fact, she said, I think in many cases your morality is deeply lacking if all you want is a child born, but not a child fed, a child born, but not a child educated, a child born, but not a child housed. The vestiges of Abraham's God are still with us when fathers make war that cost mothers their children. The vestiges of Abraham's God are still with us when single mothers toil in two or three jobs and still cannot afford and support their families. The vestiges of Abraham's God are still with us when universal health care, how we care for one another, is dismissed as socialism. When birth control is limited, when tax dollars are extracted from the poor to enrich the elite, the vestiges of Abraham's God are still with us when the rights of women are struck down, when the perspective of women isn't sought, when men do what they wish while women suffer what they must. That is why I am standing with the gracious God of Sarah, who long ago whispered in her ear, there is a better life in Hebron, let us go there together. We, friends, are at perilous times in our nation. Make no mistake, it is time we learn to live together so that all in this great land might be as cherished as the wealthy and those of high degree. We must learn as our ancestors learned, that when entire groups of people are held down, none can rise with integrity. And so today we gather and we hope and pray for a vision from God, for strength from God to live as we ought in the land of Hebron. where God blesses not some, but all.